Hello, everybody, and welcome to season three of Yes or BS. You sound so excited. <laughs> because I am, Paul. It's the season that nobody asked for. Our three fans forgot to unsubscribe, so they're getting to season three. Mm. Uh, you might have heard a few weeks back we did a team episode with The Endless Knot. If you've not heard that, go back and check it out. Yeah, that was great fun with uh, Evan and Mark. They absolutely wiped the floor. They did. 3-1, I think it was. Have <clears throat> hey, we lost at our own game? Mm. But uh, thanks for waiting patiently for season three, everyone. I know me and Paul always promise big things. Oh, yeah. coming soon. Here's the next episode for you. And then, what was it, four or five months? It <laughs> what, one week just rolls into the other. And before you know it, it's Christmas. <laughs> yes, I've uh, in that time, I've married, had children. They've gone to university. Um, <laughs> I'm retiring next week as well. Uh, Anthony um, still lives in a dream world. <laughs> <laughs> one day it'll happen. <laughs> So anyway, I, I don't think I've done very much in the last couple of months, have I? Well, it doesn't. I had my birthday. It doesn't make much of a change to the rest of your life, then, True. Paul, does it? There's been a lot of sitting on settees. <laughs> Again, no real change. No. A thrilling insight for the listeners into what you get up to in between seasons. Pre- pretty much. So, are you are you excited for season three, Paul? I am. Yeah. yeah. I'm, we seem to be kind of improving as time goes by. So that I've got I've got big is, hopes for this season. Is improving in inverted commas there, or pretty much? Yeah. Um, by like we mature like a fine wine that then becomes corked and undrinkable <laughs> was, that, was that one of the reviews was it yeah they called us corked and undrinkable i'm not sure which one was which so for the first inaugural episode of season three what sort of facts have you got ready for us well i'm revisiting old ground for one of them and i'm Ooh. also sort of playing to a couple of my strengths we're going sort of kind of classical music but also the, um and a bit of film as well okay Right then, I'm completely on the back foot. I know, yeah, I've decided to go with things that you know nothing about. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've gone for the yes or BS trifecta of common facts. Oh, God, it's going to um, be Roman history, <laughs> Greek history, and Greco-Roman history. <laughs> There's a lot of differences between them. No, you're right, Roman history is one. Mm. I've also got a language fact. Ooh. And I've also got a schmaltzy eccentric person fact. I was wondering if there would be an eccentric in this oh, one. Oh, I thought I'm, I have to finally come back and get right, it. Right, okay, because I haven't got an eccentric this time. Now, we had a quick cup of coffee before this, and mm-hmm. I mentioned to you, Paul, that this has been many weeks in the making, my facts. I know. I literally cobbled these together in like an hour before I drove over here. It's disgusting. And you've been working on this pretty much since the last episode <laughs> of season two. I've had a Google Doc ready that I've been writing as I go, oh, like my filling word. things in. See, no, I've got my booklet and I literally haven't touched it since the last time we recorded. And yet he still somehow managed to win. But are you ready for me to launch into the first fact? I'm kind of like, you've talked this up (laughs) so much. I literally don't know what you're going to come out with. I'm already feeling slightly on the back foot. I've talked it up so much that there's a massive fall coming for us when I Uh, inevitably fail quite badly. But as is now sort of Mm semi-tradition, I'm starting a season with a Roman fact. Okay. And we're talking about the boundaries of the Roman Empire this time and how far they went mm-hmm. so, so just a quick question for you Paul mm-hmm. um, like, nice easy start for you do mm-hmm. you know how far the boundaries stretched for the Roman Empire roughly at its, at its biggest at its height um, Hadrian's Wall well done North Africa mm-hmm um, in terms of like how far east it went, I'm not that sure. It must have been. It was also it stopped at Syria as well in the Middle East. So that was right. Rough, okay. If you take that kind of rough line, yeah, and that's where it stopped. And in terms of the north, it went right up like Germania. So that's like they didn't have a lot of what is now modern day Germany. Right. Um, if you've seen the film Gladiator, is that how it opens? That is how it opens. Yeah, in Germania, and that's kind of the Danube-ish. Oh, right. Okay, so not as far. Not north as far as into Germany. Of... They they had parts of modern day Germany, but right? 
That's kind of why the German language managed to evolve very separately from all Indeed. the romance I know you're back in my ballpark. I yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that's gone okay. into this. But, so that was the empire itself. But do you know where Rome had embassies? Oh. And what was the furthest? I did, didn't even know that they did that. Mm. Embassies. Or oh, have you made this up? They're not embassies in the modern sense because diplomatic embassies and ambassadors only really came in in the 15th to 17th centuries-ish. Right. They were a Renaissance thing. Right. So when I say embassy, it's more of a diplomatic mission than a, a proper embassy with a permanent ambassador. But do you know how far they went? Um... I wouldn't be surprised if they were like Southeast Asia and stuff, <gasps> like India kind of way. Ah, Is that's that exactly where I'm going with oh, this really? today, because okay. my fact... I got a history question right. You did? <laughs> There's a lot of preamble to this, but my basic fact is, in the year 166 AD, mm -hmm. did Marcus Aurelius send an expedition by sea mm -hmm. to China that landed in what is now North Vietnam. It was a diplomatic mission to kind of establish more formal trade right. relations. Okay. But before you answer, I need to give you some context of the geopolitical situation of the world at the time. Right, good. Because I literally, I'm, I'm starting to question whether like those sides of the world even knew each other existed at that point. Well, if you've got to imagine, it's 166 AD. You've mm -hmm. got kind of three gigantic empires running the world. In mm -hmm. Europe and the West, you've obviously got the Romans. Next to mm -hmm. them is the Parthian Empire. They kind of... Oh, that was that big. Yes. Well, actually, interesting side fact. Parthians oh, he's off. He's off. <laughs> See, I might have rolled it. Get there. off that soapbox. <laughs> the Parthians and the Romans really hated each other. Yeah. It started at about 54 BC, 658 years of on-off warfare between Rome and, and Parthians. Parthians. Basically, modern-day Iran. That's where the expression parting shot comes from. It does, mm. because the Parthians were known for their... They would turn around on their horseback and fire while they were feigning a retreat. Exactly. Yeah. Which to a Roman, that's a very cowardly tactic. Of course, he could. It, but it worked, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but in terms of, they were just massive rivals. Mm. And then next to the Parthians was the Chinese Empire. So what comes from China? What was it famous for? That goes through the Middle East. Oh, mm. silk. Yeah, the Silk Road. I feel like I'm a great teacher to you today, Paul. It's yeah, like I'm like reading my mind for the stuff I learned in history when I was like 10. Looking at your blank little face across from me. <laughs> <laughs> like, Literally when you went, what was China famous for? I was going to say China, like, <laughs> like porcelain. Wow. Yeah. So this is the context. Romans and the Parthians hate each other, mm -hmm. but the Romans know of the Silk Road in China, but right. they can't go through Parthia because if you send a, like a Roman, under a Roman banner with the Roman eagle through Parthia, they're just going to get attacked. So Marcus Aurelius, or perhaps his adopted father, Antonius, there's a debate who sent the expedition. Marcus, Marcus Aurelius was the one out of Gladiator, wasn't he? Yes. So Marcus Aurelius or his father, Antonius, decided, right, we've got all of Egypt, we basically control the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Let's send ships along the Red Sea to India, cross the Bay of Bengal, mm -hmm. and then round to North Vietnam, which was then a Chinese province. Right. And then establish relations with the Chinese. Good grief. Okay. Right. So that was the reasoning behind it. So that was the plan. That was the plan. And it came off quite well, actually. Right. Okay. Because today they found Roman coins and evidence of even small settlement of Romans in North Vietnam and China. Really? Yes. They've even found coins with Marcus Aurelius's face on in Japan. In no way. In Okinawa, they found these coins. Really? Yes. I, don't, I'm, I'm <laughs> I literally don't know what I think. Roman coins in Japan. And they thought this was like a joke. Someone had put them there. Mm. But 
the archaeological study that was done, they're like 99% convinced, yeah, this is genuine. They made it that far. That's insane. They think maybe not the Romans themselves, but they were obviously trading with the Chinese and then the Chinese were trading with the Japanese. That's how the coins crossed the sea because basically silver is silver wherever you go. Whoever's, yeah. It doesn't matter whoever's face on there. So that is my main facts. Is this true? Did, did, did this, this expedition take place? Or is this complete BS? This is good. This is good. I like this. Like I said at the start, I would genuinely question whether like those different sides of the world would even know that the others existed. Mm. And plus Rome was like so bothered about destroying everyone who wasn't Roman <laughs> in Europe. <laughs> it's kind of like, Excuse did they me, have time to do in, this? In, integrating peacefully, I think, yes, rather than destroying, yeah. if you believe the propaganda. See, I've got this great muddle of facts in my head because I, mm. I know that there's somebody who's credited as being like the first Westerner to see the Pacific Ocean and stuff. Mm. So I'm like, would that not technically count as the Pacific? Well, they saw the South China Sea. Oh, I don't know. I, I kind of want it to be true, so I'm kind of inclined to say that it is true. It's a bit of a more evidence. I've got the Latin name for the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. They called it the Magnus Sinus, the Great Gulf. Okay. Um, and just as more backup facts, the kind of things they traded. Obviously, silk and spices came from China to Europe. The Romans sent fine cloth, uh, glassware and silver back over towards the Chinese. Oh, wow. Okay. Because the Romans were known for their good quality glassware, whereas the Chinese didn't really have that great a quality of glassware. Yeah, I've heard that before, that it was one of the things that sort of held them back, was mm. that Europe was so good at making glass that we could make lenses, which mm. means that we could understand more about the world. Do you, mm. want, do you want another backup fact? Come on, then. The Chinese name for the Roman Empire was <laughs> Da Qin. And obviously, Qin means China. Mm-hmm. So they'd literally called the Roman Empire Great China. Oh, Okay. It was kind of, it was a mark of respect to the Oh, they sort of saw them as equivalent to themselves. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Is it true or have I just sat down See, and thought, what, <laughs> what nonsense can I bring out today? The thing is, if you've had months to prepare this, which you have done, <laughs> I could see you coming up with all of this and just working on this fact more and more and more and more and making it more and more Getting the Chinese names, Believable. the Latin name for the South China Sea. Yeah, if you've made this up, I reckon you've come up with like 14 different names for the South China Sea. And they're like, <laughs> no, I call it this. But it does all sound like it could be true. And I kind of want it to be true. I, mm. I want them to have gone that far. Mm. I've never heard of anything like this before. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's not true. Mm. But I want it to be true. So I'm going to say, yes, it's true. Is that your final answer? It is. The Romans went to North Vietnam. Oh, God, here we go. By (laughs) boat. Again, now you put it like that. (laughs) I'm thinking, no, but no, I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm going to say that it's true. The Romans ended up in Asia. This fact? Yeah. Is completely true. Oh, wow. Yes. That's insane. There were several expeditions over a few hundred years, actually, where the Romans went by sea to China. Wow. But the Chinese, whenever they sent an expedition back, they could never make it to Rome. They were always stopped by the Parthians. Or there was a disinterest. The Chinese were quite focused on China and their own empire. And when they kind of like, wow, this is further than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine the, the slaves on the Roman ship? It's like, morning, lads. We're yeah. just off for a quick rowboat ride. But um, God, How long would that have taken? Yeah. Uh, it was a, well, the, the first expedition was about four or five years. Good grief. Which is why they weren't sure if it was Antonius or Marcus Aurelius who sent them. Oh, right. Okay. Because he di- uh, Antonius died in 161. Right. And then once Marcus Aurelius became the emperor, the Parthians immediately started a new war with Rome. Okay. So he was like, right, I've had enough of right. this. 
Okay, so uh, right, so it might have been like his father sort of commissioned it. Yeah, and then but it ended up happening during right. Okay, I'd like to see a sequel to Gladiator that was like that about this expedition. Actually, it would probably just be a lot of people being seasick. Like two hours. Surely there's some great human drama you could get out of it. Well, maybe, I suppose. But some thoughts from the Chinese side of things, Mm. because they did send their own envoys who did write things down. Mm -hmm. There was a guy called Gan Ying, who was the main envoy. He said of the Romans, the king of this country always wanted to send envoys to Han, but An Shi... Parthia, wishing to control the trade in multicoloured Chinese silks, blocked the route to prevent the Romans getting through. So nobody liked the Parthians, really. Oh, wow. So the Parthians are just in the middle, just stirring the shit. <laughs> yeah. They, they, get the, they get the best of both worlds. Yeah. They, they get to absolutely rinse everybody. Wow. You know that story about when they built that motorway and that guy refused to give up his house, so they ended up having to like build the motorway around yeah. him because he was being so sort of... <laughs> he is the Parthians made... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's being so kind of... He's like the sort of Parthian empire of the argument. Mm. I have one other fun little story. Yeah, so this is also Gan Ying again. His description of the Romans might be a bit romanticised. He might have met Romans who may have fed him a pack of lies, maybe. Mm. But he thought, well, he said of the Romans, their kings are not permanent. They select and appoint the most worthy man. Oh. He'd obviously never met Nero or... Caligula. Caligula. Mm. <laughs> obviously, they're not the most worthy men. Yeah. He also said of them, if there are unexpected calamities in the kingdom, such as frequent extraordinary winds or rains, he is unceremoniously rejected and replaced. I don't know where he's got this idea That's from. That's not... That didn't so happen. If exactly. And he also said the people of this country are tall and honest. They resemble the people of the Middle Kingdom. And that is why this kingdom is called Dachin. Wow. Okay. But yeah, I did have loads of other other random facts about the Parthians, but I think we'll I, I'll get I'll get onto those guys another day. Wow. But for now, I'll say one point to you. That's for. really interesting. I had no idea that those sides of the world knew each other at that mm. point. That's insane. What a good fact to open up with. Oh, thank you. And again, I put so much effort in, and you always get a point off it. Yep. The more, <laughs> the more, how it happens. The more effort I put in, months the less of work <laughs> down the drain. The less points I win. That was a good fact to open with. Oh, thank you. Months of preparation. and <laughs> I'm genuinely devastated. Let's see if uh, I can keep a point for the 20 minutes of preparation <laughs> that I did <laughs> on my facts before we turned up. Honestly, I get so nervous and worried about my facts. <laughs> then you just waltz in. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Um, now, can you remember in the last season, um, you came out with a fact about the Crimean War? Ah, yes. Um, Caustic acid. Ah, right, yes. Some sort sort of acid. uh, We touched on, in passing, uh, Florence Nightingale. We did. And her pet owl. We did. That she kept in her pocket. Uh, The owl did exist. It was completely Mm. true. It was a little owl. Uh, no, but there was the species little owl. It was also happened to be a little owl. But... Well, I didn't think she'd have a barn owl in her pocket. <laughs> yeah, it was a little owl. Uh, she called it Athena because mm. uh, she rescued it from Athens. Uh, so that was completely true. Mm. And this got me thinking about other people from history who have unusual pet birds. That oh, was it. Was that was a, a good link? It was mm-hmm. a bit. It was a bit heavy. Yeah. But... Um, so I'm going to tell you about Mozart and his pet starling. Ooh, okay. Okay, so some facts about Mozart. He was born in uh, 1756 in... Vienna? Oh, close. It was in Salzburg. Ah. I thought you might have known that because you sent me a postcard when you were in Austria with the Mozart family on it. Oh, yeah. And you wrote, what an ugly bunch <laughs> <laughs> on the back of the postcard. But yeah, he was born in Salzburg. 
Um, Actually, just to defend myself, they were very badly made mannequins. Yeah, they were actually. Yeah, I think so. I, do, I don't actually yeah. think Mozart. The actually Mozart family were probably quite sort of attractive. Quite Although normal. Mozart was uh, very pox marked, apparently. Was he? Yeah, apparently. Oh, well, maybe I was right. Um, anyway, anyway, uh, how old do you reckon he was when uh, he wrote his first symphony? Oh, this is going to be ridiculous. Like mm. eighteen months or something. <laughs> Yes, he popped out of the womb already humming the theme tune. No, uh, he was eight. It was also it was the same age that he published his very first piece of music, which was a violin sonata. That was when he was eight, and then he built up from that, and in the same year wrote his first symphony, which is insane. He wrote his first opera Mm -hmm. when he was eleven, and when he was fourteen, he went to Rome with his family and heard a performance of Allegri's Miserere, which is a really famous piece of choral music. You, mm. you will know the tune. I know you're not a very big classical music person, but it's in films and all sorts of stuff. Mm. And when they went home, he sat down and wrote it all out from memory. I have heard this story before. It yeah. was like, the, was this the one that the Pope closely guarded? He, would, <laughs> yeah. he wouldn't see... It should only have been performed in, in the Vatican. In the Vatican. I think it was performed in the Sistine Chapel, actually. You see? You, yeah. you rag on my musical well, knowledge yeah, and I got something. Um, yeah, so Mozart went home and wrote it out and it started to get performed everywhere mm. else. Um, I, how much of that is apocryphal, I don't know. But mm. that, yeah, he certainly had a, a, an amazing sort of memory. But in 1784, uh, he was in a pet shop <laughs> in Vienna <laughs> and he happened to hear a starling now this is the story he heard a starling which is uh, starlings can mimic sounds and, and can actually kind of half sort of be taught how to talk like a parrot can really um yeah but yeah they do mimic noises they're very very intelligent and b- back in the sort of 1700s people used to keep birds that we now wouldn't really think to keep as pets as pets um, it's this darling in the pet shop and the story goes that he heard it singing the tune to his 17th piano concerto oh, I swear to God <laughs> so this is the story now the problem is is that we know that he bought the starling in May he finished that piano concerto in April of that mm-hmm. year but the earliest public performance that we know of was in the June mm. um, so that part of the story probably isn't true or we think that he came across this bird was told that it can mimic amazing sounds and while he was there, kind of tried to test it with the tune that he was working so on. So he just minute. had his piano in the back. <laughs> no, he looked back in the wagon. <laughs> He's like, oh, just a second. Just give us a few minutes. Loads out for grand piano from his wagon. Yeah, no, <laughs> he carts the whole orchestra in. This Stalin sits there looking at him and then comes back with the whole thing. No, it would have been, it like whistled at it or hummed it or something. Oh, this And the Stalin kind of mimicked it back. Uh, and he was so impressed that he bought the style and took it home. And it kind of, for the next three years, became like his constant companion. It would sit at his desk while he wrote and it would sit by the piano while he played. He would travelled with it. Um, it says that he, it, it was there when his sons were born. I don't quite, <laughs> was the, was I the don't starling quite the know, midwife? <laughs> I don't quite know what that means. Whether it was sort of perched on the midwife's head or something, I don't know. Or whether he, it just means that he owned it at that time. But anyway... Unfortunately, three years later, June uh, 1787, the poor old thing drops down dead. And poor old Mozart, this happens a week after his father dies. So it's sort of double the sadness. Mm. So uh, which one of these two things do you think he does? Does he go to his father's funeral or does he host an elaborate funeral for his starling? I have a feeling it's going to be the starling. (laughs) Yeah, so screw the father. Uh, I'm going to host an elaborate funeral just for my pet bird. So uh, Mozart doesn't go to his dad's funeral. There was a bit of friction between him and his dad. Ah. His dad blamed Mozart for his mother's death. His his mother died years before when uh, she took him to Paris 
to perform. And while she was there, she caught a fever and died. So his father was like, if you weren't such an upstart traveling around <laughs> Europe, it was all that kind of thing. Um, so there was always this bit of friction, which kind of explains why he didn't go. But he had other things to do. He had a bird funeral to organize. <laughs> so ostentatious kind of doesn't really do justice to what he organized for this Stalin. Um, there were there was a procession of veiled mourners. Um, <laughs> hymns were sung. There was a tiny little gravestone made <laughs> no, and, and put up in his garden. Not raw. Um, I think that's one step too far. Mozart delivered. Yeah, no, you, you don't know what's coming. Yeah, <laughs> Mozart delivered a eulogy, and then as the bird was put into the grave, uh, he read a poem. Would you like to hear some of the poem? Oh, sweet Jesus! Go on. Now, um, I haven't mentioned yet what the bird was called. That was going to be one of my questions, yeah, and it's probably because he just called it Starling. <sighs> yeah. Well, what would you call it? Clarice? <laughs> <laughs> you just waiting for that joke. <laughs> it's just, literally just came to me 20 minutes ago when I was writing this down. No. So, uh, here rests a bird called Starling, a foolish little darling. <laughs> so, that's how it opens. Um, the poem is actually quite long, so I won't, I, I won't read the whole thing. But he has another verse from it. He is now on high and from the sky <laughs> praises me without pay in his friendly way. This, this is the biggest lie yeah. I think you've so, ever uh, told. That was the poem that Mozart wrote for his uh, dead starling called Starling that he buried in his garden amongst much pomp and circumstance uh, without attending his father's funeral. I think... In 1787. I can debunk this nonsense with one question. <sighs> okay. So if Mozart was Austrian and one would assume a, G a German native speaker, mm -hmm. why would he rhyme Starling with Darling oh, in English? Yeah, now, uh, th uh, this And is, sky and high. Yeah, this is because... Uh, the, because you're a liar. Is that, is that what? <laughs> the translation that I have of this poem is a sort of mangled version that was done oh. in like 1880 or something. Bollocks. Um, You've written... You started with that poem this please, morning. Please, I could write better than that. I'm a Stalin, me darling. That's a poem by Pam Hayes. <laughs> You're a big fan as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Right. I don't think I need to interrogate this any further. Okay. Because if you hadn't have said a tiny little gravestone and had mm -hmm. that awful poem... <laughs> Please, it's a work of art. <laughs> I'd have said this might have been true. Okay. How many pet, what, what other pets did the pet shop have in Vienna? What? I don't know the itinerary of Viennese pet shops in the late <laughs> 18th century. Or if they existed. I can tell you some facts about Mozart. I don't know about Austrian pet shops. I think your Mozart facts are true. Uh, the, yeah, the, uh, that is all completely true, yeah. It's, that, it, those... The question is whether he had a pet Stalin that he gave a funeral to. <laughs> No, no, I don't think I can question anymore because it's just ridiculous. It's just not worth questioning. It's not, it's not worth my time to question this anymore, right? This is BS. Okay, final answer? Yes. That entire story yes. is completely true. No, it isn't. Stop <laughs> lying. Why are you still lying? No, it the poem's true. It's completely true. No. Hello, Starling. You were my darling. Here rests what? a bird called Starling, a foolish little darling. Please, it was better than that. I. This I'm... is completely true. Now, there are two little caveats to this. We, we think the poem was sort of deliberately meant to be quite sort of childlike. <laughs> quite childlike. Because he wrote lots of sort of... I mean, he wrote Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. He wrote that oh, tune. He? So he wrote sort of quite 
childlike ah, things. Okay. Um, so we think that the porn was meant to be sort of deliberately a bit sort of awful. Yeah, deliberately <laughs> bad. I guess you could say. Yeah, and he called it Stalin, but he also in his letters he makes a reference to another bird that he owns. Oh, was this was this, was this sparrow? <laughs> no, it's called ostrich. It's called Mister Canary. <laughs> Least, I'm guessing it was a canary. At least, at least he gets a mister in front of him. <laughs> yeah, what did Stalin get? Yeah, yeah. Stalin. <laughs> Joseph Stalin. <laughs> Stalin. could have called it Joseph. <laughs> Joseph Stalin. Yeah, you but see? he also uh, he kept some tomtits and a robin. So he did own sort of what you might think of as kind of wild birds. He did keep them as pets. What a nut. And Mr. Canary. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Um, this, uh, genuinely, I know you still think that I've made this up. Just I'm to get glad the point. I'm going to Google this after the fact. No, it's completely true. It's but completely I, I, that true. That kind of reminds me of C.S. Lewis's dogs, uh, Mr. Papworth and Troddles. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, there's what a man. What was the other one called? <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> see, now, Tim. See now, C.S. Lewis. There's a man who can name pets. Yeah, true. Forget Mozart, Mr. Canary. What did yeah. he call the Robin? Just Robin. I think he called it Robin Redbreast. Oh, I swear to if God, I remember I've, rightly, I've lost back. a lot of respect for Mozart. Well, there. at least he called the canary Mr. Canary. That's not a defence. Oh, true. I'm going to read that full poem now. Uh, oh, don't. It's terrible. This it's, is Maybe in its original German, it's quite lovely. But the reason why it rhymes in English is because the translation that I tracked down was like a sort of cod Fudged English. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of gotcha. like, we're going to translate the German, but we're also still going to try and make it rhyme in English. Oh. So it's probably slightly more poetic. This is beyond frustrating. I'm but, so annoyed. Um, I'm just going to cut to the music right now <laughs> and we're going to fade into the next fact. So well done, Paul. You're now 2 nil up. That uh, is the most grudge and well done. <laughs> there's been so many grudge and well done's on yeah. this podcast for me. It's it's disgusting you got away with that one. 2 nil. I'll take that. I'm feeling on shaky ground now because I'm, I'm moving on to Middle English facts. Oh, Lord. Right, okay. Which is kind of your wheelhouse. Mm-ish. I don't know, because I know you did English languages. You yeah. Did Have you read any old Middle English texts, a lot of them before? Um, Yes-ish. Yeah, mm. Middle English is very strange, though. Mm, it is. Because it's, it's sort of, it branched off in like nine different directions. So things get very, very strange. Yeah, I think it was after the, the 1066 Norman invasion yeah. where just French started to get smashed into English. Yeah. And it created the beautiful language we have today. Indeed. So when you were doing your studies, Paul, uh, did you read any of like, the famous Middle English texts? Um, yes, I will have done. Um, I've, we did a lot of Canterbury Tales, so mm-hmm. that's kind of like late Middle English yeah. kind of period. Earlier than that, yeah, we, we did a few. Right, I'm feeling on slightly safer ground now because okay. I'm going... Actually, when was Chaucer? 1300s. Mm, actually, it might be around the same time. Have you ever heard of the book The Form of Curie before? No. Can you guess what The Form of Curie is from your knowledge of the period? Curie? How do you spell mm, it? Uh, C-U-R-Y. Oh. Think on, along the French side of things. Lots oh. of French words. Oh, in. so it's something to do with food. Yes. It uh. comes from the French word for cooking. Yeah. Uh, which is... Cuire. <laughs> 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 Spoken like a native. It's as if Queer. the French were here. Yeah. We actually, I think we've got a few French listeners. 
When I looked at the statistics. Oh, I, I can only apologize for the pronunciation. <laughs> uh, bonjour, mes amis. Okay. <laughs> so no, I think they've already gone. Watch <laughs> I won't try to say the French word for cooking again. Yeah. But okay. it was basically because there was a, a trend at the time in the 1300s for mm-hmm. French was trying to smash out as much of the older English that it could. Yeah, well, because Latin was like the language of like the church mm. and English was like the sort of day-to-day one that you would talk to your friends with. Mm. But because we were kind of now were like a French colony, effectively, mm. the sort of middle part of that, like the local government was all in French. Mm. So that meant that chefs mm. who would cook for sort of courts and all the rest of it would be would be French. Exactly. It was kind of, it was seen as an aristocratic language mm. for people. So this is why this cookbook is called The Form of Curie, or How to Cook, right. Method okay. of Cooking. Yeah. But interestingly, it was written in Middle English. Okay. And it's some of these... I don't know where you're going with it. Is this going to be like, is this a genuine Middle yes, English recipe? Exactly oh my God. <laughs> so not only will you get to hear me try and pronounce some Middle English. Oh Lord. There's translations for everything, don't worry. Right. Like I said, weeks in the making these facts were. Yeah, true. So I'm actually, I've got three recipes. Right. And I'm going to give you a point for each one. Oh. Mm. Are you regretting doing this um, now? No. We're 2-0 down. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Just okay. Little, but I could theoretically pull three points back. True. Oh, what? You're not getting the point if I get it wrong. No, get, come on. That's all oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't just take the free points. Yeah, okay. But actually, do you know where the origin of the word kook comes from as well? Oh, that's interesting. Because I thought when I was researching this fact that it, it might have come from the French word. Yeah. But it actually comes from the Latin cork. Oh, right. Uh, okay. And then Old English cork. Cork. Yeah. yeah so, so it's so like a long from... open. Exactly. Oh. So this book, The Form of Curie, it was one of the first recipe books that's been found. It's got about 200 recipes in all. Some of the meats include whale, crane, curlew, heron, seal, and porpoise. Right. So I, I'm so at curlew. <laughs> Have you seen a curlew? Are those those birds with the really long beaks? Yeah. The, yeah. I don't think you're going to get a lot of meat off a curlew. Well, you, you've not heard the recipes yet. Like You've got whale at one end, and at the other end you've got a curlew. Mm. A curlew's like a thin chicken. It's like a chicken that's gone on a diet and, and grown a beak that looks like a magic wand. Well, excuse me for, for judging these medieval people for trying to bring a bit of spice in their life. Okay. But apparently one of the authors of the book was supposed to be one of the cooks of King Richard II. Oh, who, right. Okay. He reigned from around 1367 to, I can't remember when. Oh, so it is, it's very close to Chaucer then because he was yeah, like... Yeah, very close to Chaucer. Late 1300s, like... I think a country tales is usually dated like fourteen hundred exactly. Mm. So, and I love old English. And this this era of old English is my favorite because it sounds like someone's speech center shuts down <laughs> temporarily, and then they talk normal English again. Then it shuts down again. Yes. So it's hello. My name is. I was going to go to Middle English is like a transition period between Old English, which is like really arcane, and then you've kind of got like early Modern English, which mm. is sort of just coming up to before Shakespeare. So it's like mm. you've got this weird thing where you've got elements of stuff we completely know and recognise today, mm. but elements of like really old stuff. So it's very, very strange. And you're going to hear some examples now, Paul. Oh Lord, okay. This, this is from the preamble of. The form of Curie. Okay. And it, it basically explains to the, the reader what the book does. Are you going to read this in Middle English? I'm going to read this in Middle English. Okay. And give the translation. So this book, this is what it does. First, it teacheth a man for to make commune pottages and commune meatis for household as they should be made craftily and wholesomely. That's almost like modeling, modern English. Yeah. It's basically, first it'll teach you how to make nice pottages, which is like a, a pot full of vegetables. Yeah. And commune meatis which is like different yeah. types of meat. 
Here's a question for you, Paul. Mm. You need your language knowledge. Later in the book, they talk about meats, flesh and fish. But did they refer to fish as meat as well? Oh, now this is really weird because yeah. meat originally just meant food. Ah, because they later talk about cooking meats, both of flesh and of fish. Oh, right. Food, which is both meat and fish, he's maybe saying. Ah, right. Okay. But are you ready for me to move on to the recipes? Okay. So is the fact like whether this is... Is this a genuine recipe? Right. Or have I just made these up? Right. So, Paul, recipe one. Mm. How would you like to enjoy pigs in sauce? (laughs) How big? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go to a restaurant. Ooh, I'd love some pigs in sauce today, please. Mm -hmm. And we're talking multiple pigs here. So the recipe is... Okay. Take pigs, escalded, and quarter him and seethe him in water and salt. Right. So basically, take scalded pigs, some sort of cooked pigs. Whether you would boil them to get the hairs off them. So scald them and then quarter them and boil them in water and salt. So far, so delicious, in my opinion. Boiled, quartered, hairless pig carcass. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I'm vegetarian. (laughs) I'll have the sauce, please. Oh, you you wait. (laughs) Oh, God, the sauce has probably got like... (laughs) It's probably got like pig snout in it or something. (laughs) I might try this tonight. Mm. So the next step, take purcell, sorge, and grind it with bread and zolks of aranhard sod. Oh, that's like where this, okay, this right. where these are proper translation. Yeah, that's First parsley all, and sage. Exactly. So take parsley, sage, and grind it with bread and yolks of hard-boiled eggs. Oh, yolks. Oh, yes. right. Okay. Which was zolks. Yeah. Oh, just, just, just the yolks it's for some reason. I don't know why you wouldn't put the egg whites in there. Ah. Uh, next step: temper it up with vinegar, somewhat thick, and lay the pigs in a vessel, and sow the onward and serue it forth. So basically, uh, temper it up with thick vinegar. Lay the pigs in a vessel and cover it with the sauce and serve it forth. It doesn't actually say how to make the sauce. So you would just eat that raw? Um, Vinegar. Yeah. Vinegar. <laughs> Vinegared the pigs. yolks of hard-boiled eggs, some herbs rubbed over a boiled pig. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Count me you out. You forgot that sage and parsley. This sounds delicious. So I don't even like hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> So this isn't really a recipe. He's forgotten how fussy I am. This isn't really a recipe for you. No, I, You'd it, pass... it's the question, do I want to eat it? Because <laughs> <laughs> quest- it's a hard the pass. The question is, I'm bringing it in in the next five minutes. <laughs> so is this a proper medieval recipe? Pigs in sauce. Yes, I think it is. It's, <laughs> it's ludicrous. Um, yeah, it's got to be. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> that was too ridiculous for it not to be. Oh, Lord. Right. Pigs in sauce. I love the fact that they don't mention the sauce. It could be ketchup. You know, Wait, you know? I'd, I'd rather just eat the sauce <laughs> until they put hard-boiled egg yolks in it. But you we're on to the next one now. Okay. So recipe two. Right. Geese in hodgepot. Ah, no, this is, this is interesting. Geese is obviously yeah. geese. And hodgepot yeah. is basically just boil them up in a pot. Well, yeah, that's where the word hodgepodge comes from, mm. and hodgepodge. Mm. Um, Ooh, tell us more on that one, actually. I didn't really look too much into it. There's a lot of, like, potpourri we kind of use as just, like, a mm. jumble, but mm. that was that literally means rotten pot, and it was, like, it was originally a stew that you would just chuck everything ah. in. Same with the gallimorphy. We just use that to mean, like, a random section of things, but that was originally food, and so was a hodgepodge. Mm. Mm. 
There you go. They're, so, all, they're all stews of random ingredients. <laughs> so, so, yeah. But you're about to tell me how to make a goose <laughs> hodgepodge. Well, <laughs> here mm, we go. You're I'm <laughs> salivating already. You're not leaving to leave eating all of these. <laughs> Maybe I'm salivating because I'm about to vomit. So, step one take geese and smite him on peckers. <laughs> Right. It's, it is a good idea to kill the animal you're about to cook, especially if it's a goose. It's basically take the goose and cut him into pieces. Oh, right. Okay. So smite. Oh, smite as in, right. Okay. Smite. Yeah. Right. I was thinking it was like, like grab a wild goose. <laughs> yeah, step, step one, find a wild goose. Step two is cast him in a pot, do fur to half wine and half water and good quantity of onions and uh, <laughs> that's, that's the just way... how you pronounce onions <laughs> it's onions with o y n o u n s onions and herbs so then basically and then add a good quantity of onions and herbs set it over the fire mm-hmm. and cool so the french word for cook oh yeah right make okay. make a layer of bread and blood and lay it forthwith <laughs> So, like, kind of blood pudding, bit of bread. Make a layer of bread and blood. Yeah. Does it mean, like, the, the goose's blood? Uh, it doesn't say which the blood comes oh, from. Oh, it's just, you know... It's just like blood just pudding. open a vein. Yeah, open a vein. <laughs> Smash that up with some bread. Put that on top of the goose. Oof. Okay. And finally, do thirto powder fort and ceruid fort. So add powder and powder. serve it. It's probably pepper and spices and stuff like mm, that. It's been be. just a sort of general rub. So how delicious does that sound? So a go- <laughs> chopped up chopped up goose in a pot with wine and water with some onions and herbs. That sounds more palatable. It sounds more palatable. It is the question whether you've made that up or not. Yes. If it wasn't for like that's how on- yeah onions that makes sense. But you might have pieced together a fake recipe from lines of other ones. That was the real question. That sounds too sensible i think that one you've made up i think that's bs if you're going from like boiled <laughs> seared pig quoted, in vinegar, quoted pig um and now you've just got a goose in like a like, goose stew red wine and water it's, it's probably, <laughs> like if i had me i'd probably eat it uh yeah i think you've made that up i think that's bs that's actually true as Ooh. well. That's a real recipe. So oh, I'm finally, right, okay. finally on the scoreboard this episode. The chef wrote that the day that he wasn't on acid. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you describe medieval cooking? <laughs> Chefs on acid. Yeah. Okay. So the final oh, recipe. true. It oh, was. Right. Okay. So the final recipe, conigs in gravy. Rabbits? Yes, rabbits. Yeah, so right. a, a form of the old word for rabbit, corny. Corny, yeah. So cornies in gravy. So rabbits in gravy. Lovely. <laughs> Again, I don't think there's a single recipe that doesn't have meat in this book. <laughs> Similar to the first recipe, take conigs, smite him into peckers. So take mm-hmm. your rabbits, cut them into pieces, mm-hmm. parboil him and draw him with a good broth with almonds blanched and braid. Oof. So blanched almonds are in the pot with the rabbit. Almonds now. are minging anyway. <laughs> rabbit meat and like the flavour of marzipan. <laughs> 600 years later and my stomach's already turning. It's a miracle the human race survived beyond this period, to be honest, well, with the Black Death and oh, this cookbook. Dear. So the next step, do therein sugar and powder ginger. So we've added... Sugar and powdered ginger now. Mm-hmm. Uh, next step. And boil it and the flesh therewith. Flour it with sugar, so more sugar, and powder ginger and serve forth. So oh, you basically... God, that you, sounds horrible. You cook it in sugar and ginger, take it out, and then powder it with more sugar and ginger. Rabbit meat. Yeah. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> How sweet would it be? <laughs> All right, that sounds minging. 
Mm. Um, that sounds more believable than the goose one, though. Mm. Um, gravy. Again, it doesn't say how to make the gravy. Well, that would just be like the stock that it was in. Ah, uh, that would be right. Because right. gravy comes from, that's from French as well, and it, it just meant seasoned. Mm. Um, but you don't so fancy that, the sound of cornies in gravy. No. <laughs> so, no, I'll, I'll stick with my plant-based diet, please. Um, <laughs> I think there's a salad recipe in there, actually. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It'd probably be like a lovely salad of like chervil and fennel, and that'd be like, <laughs> then add the rabbit livers. <laughs> <laughs> and delicious broiled cow's lips. <laughs> There's no concept of vegetarians. <laughs> Diced sheep nipples. <laughs> You're just listing my shopping surf. list. <laughs> um, so, is Cody's and Gravy a real recipe? I, I'm going off the fact that that sounds more plausible than the goose one. So, mm. I've, although it makes sense that you wouldn't come up with three genuine ones, and you've probably made this one up, I'm going to say that this is genuine as well. It is. Oh, wow. So you're now 4-1 up, I think. Ooh, I'll take that. Maybe 5-1 up. No, 4-1. No, I, I got two, yeah. 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 Oh, wow. There you go. Well, that was a, that was a nice genteel fact. Wow. A, a, a travel through Middle English. Would you recommend anyone cooks those things? I would. I would, yes. You, see, you would probably eat them. <laughs> I'd basically eat anything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because we used to like do a flat share. Where we, uh, mm. Me and you lived with another friend of ours a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I would just literally chop unwashed vegetables in a pot yeah. and then add something like mace for flavouring. I can remember walking in the kitchen and you were cooking. I used the, uh, uh, That should have air quotes around it. <laughs> and there was an, a pan on the stove with sort of quartered salad potatoes like on like a full roll and boil going around <laughs> in this water. And the water looked like squid ink. <laughs> it was like the deepest black I've ever seen. These potatoes sort of rolling around in it. And I had no idea what you were doing, but you <laughs> ate it as if it was like, <laughs> as if it was like a delicious soup. <laughs> I would fit right in in medieval England, I think. Uh, yeah, that's probably where you got your recipe book from when we lived <laughs> it was, together. It was actually this book I was using. But there you go. Well done, Paul. You're absolutely storming wow. away. Hey, I'm starting the uh, the new season on a new high. Let's see if you can make it an almost clean sweep. No, it'll all be downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's quite a lead I've amassed. It is. I don't think you can win now. I think I've, I've noticed a I theme. can win. You can't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed every time I give out bonus points, I always lose. So how many points we've got left to give out? Three. Yes. So it could be a draw. It could be a draw. Be a draw. I've got to be on the ball now. Right. Okay. Right. Come um, on, Jones. I was just saying I might offer a bonus point in this one, but... Uh, nah, I'm not You are such a scrooge. <laughs> well, you came up with I, the bonus I, points. I that? try and bring in a bit yeah. of fun to this game. Nah. But anyway, go on. Right, okay. So, we're gonna. Uh, this isn't what I'm technically going to talk about, but I'm going to start off talking about um, Time Magazine. Hmm. And every year they nominate, it used to be called Man of the Year, but now it's Person of the Year. I think I'm up for um, that um, this year. Yeah, <laughs> as uh, the worst <clears throat> podcast performance. <laughs> I meant in terms of scores. Of <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, do you know what year first uh, nominated someone? Ooh, I didn't realise it was as old as this. 1920s or something. Wow, yeah, it's 1927. Mm. Do you know who it was? Ooh, I'd be impressed if that you knew. That fella with the planes, Howard. 
Howard Hughes. Oh, <laughs> Howard Hughes wasn't twenties, no. Oh. It, but it was the guy with the planes. It was the other one. The other one fell out with the planes. It was Charles Lindbergh. That's the one. Yeah, they think that they probably um, came up with the idea because when Lindbergh did his sort of transatlantic flight, they didn't put him on the front cover. Mm. So they were like, "Oh, we've kind of missed how big a story this was." So we'll put him on as like a sort of look what Lindbergh did this year, and mm. that he was like the first one because of that. So it was kind of almost retrospective. Mm. But there's some really famous names on the list. Uh, Lindbergh was 27. Gandhi was 1930. Mm-hmm. Um, Roosevelt, 32, 34, and 41. Oh, jeez. He's ragging them up. Yeah, Haile Selassie, 1935. Leader of Ethiopia. Mm. Um, Wallace Simpson, goddess. What's really? It? Yeah. And uh, 38, 39, 40. Do you know who they were three years in a row? Ooh, one of them wasn't Hitler, was it? He, <laughs> it was. <no. laughs> he got it in 40 and 39. No, no, it was three different names. Oh, so, what, yeah, one of them's Hitler. He, he, what was it, 38, 39, 40? 38, 39, 40. 38 yeah. would have been Hitler. Hitler's first, he, yeah. He hadn't started invading people. Yeah. Um, 39, not Hitler, I'm guessing. Not Hitler. Almost as unusual. Ooh, who? Stalin. Oh, God. They've really. <laughs> yeah. really they really they dropped the a bollock there. in the 30s They got it back in 40, though. Do you know who 40 was? Oh, Churchill yeah, or Roosevelt. It was Churchill, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Hitler, Stalin, Churchill, quite a <laughs> quite a triumvirate. Um, and that takes us right up to 1941. Now, I've already said that uh, Roosevelt got it in 41, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the first choice. Mm. Do you know who was? Ooh, like this, I don't know. This is someone, what my fact is. Another world leader, I'm guessing. In a way, uh, it was going to be Dumbo the Elephant. <laughs> In a way. In a way, Dumbo leads us all. Of course. He's always in our hearts. Yeah. Okay, so Dumbo, which was released in October 1941. Uh, it's the shortest Disney feature film. It is. only like half an hour or something, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's a little bit longer than that. <laughs> it's 64 minutes. All right. <laughs> it's a long half hour. Yeah, so it's short, but it's not that short. And it was apparently Walt Disney's favourite, although I think every single Disney film that you look up that was sort of from the early days, Walt Disney at some point said it was oh, his favourite. favourite. Um, but yeah, you said it was a um, happy film from beginning to end was why he liked it so much. Harry Truman, he has a little bonus fact. This is all completely true, by mm. the way. Uh, Harry Truman refused to go on the Dumbo ride at Disneyland. Do you know why? Ooh, I don't know. Because the elephant is a Republican logo. <laughs> like, how petty. <laughs> and we think politics is worse today. Exactly, yeah. And it was based on a book. I didn't know this. I thought it was just an original story. Really? Like an yeah. elephant who could talk and... Well, <laughs> well, it was called Dumbo the Flying Elephant, <laughs> not the elephant that could oh, talk and, oh, it and wasn't do like a, things. It wasn't like a biography or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was an autobiography <laughs> written by an actual elephant. No, um, yeah, it was a, a, a kid's book uh, called Dumbo the Elephant. But all of this goes into making it uh, a film. It was released, as I say, in October 1941, and it was a huge success, critically and commercially. So the budget, I think they tried to do it on a really tight budget, but even at the time, I think it ended up being, well, they say it's anywhere between about 800000 and $950,000 mm. budget, which at the time was a huge amount of money. Um, but it grossed by Christmas. So by the end of the year, it grossed almost $2 million. So it was, um, yeah, massively, massively successful. So it became like this big kind of cultural thing at the time. Mm. And plus, of course, this is kind of like the early years of Second World War. Mm. So having something kind of quite nice to celebrate mm. was good um so yeah time magazine are like yeah we'll see how popular dumbo is we'll put him on the front cover and call him the mammal of the year that was what the sort oh, of I thing was they, that they were going to go for so they started putting wheels in motion and they commissioned a portrait of him to go on the front cover because they didn't just want to use like a still from the mm. film so the 
artists at Disney, they they came up with this picture of Dumbo standing in front of like the background to a big top, mm. and the little mouse was there. Do you know what the mouse was called? Oh, Jeff. Timothy Q Mouse. What did the Q stand for? Quouse. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't. <laughs> Timothy Quouse Mouse. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and he was there, and Dumbo's holding his little feather and all the rest of it. Mm. But they turned that picture down because they said it looked too much like it came from the film. Mm. So they commissioned another one, and uh, Dumbo looks like sort of really like down heart. It's like a really serious portrait, <laughs> but they wanted a picture that looks makes it look like um, as if he was sort of nervous about having his portrait oh, painted. Right. So the mouse is gone. He's still holding his feather. He's, he's still in front of the, the circus backdrop, but he looks kind of quite sheepish. Um, and that was the picture that they were going to put on there and have like Mammal of the Year above it. Mm. So they're careering towards the end of the year. Um, this is like the big holiday special that they're going to do. It was due to go out on the 29th of December, this sort of final edition, like end the year on a high. Mm. But then, December the 7th, 1941. Woo, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, <laughs> suddenly, Pearl Harbor happens. So the idea of sort of putting an, <laughs> an animated <laughs> elephant on the front of like a current affairs magazine after Pearl Harbor, mm. uh, not the best idea in the world. So unfortunately for Dumbo, the whole idea was pulled. Uh, the cover image wasn't used. The whole thing kind of got chucked out. Mm. Mammal of the Year, unfortunately, never Never went ahead. Is, uh, Roosevelt ever... was crowned um, Man of the Year in place. Uh, and you know what they put on instead of Dumbo on the front cover of that issue? Would You would assume Roosevelt if he's... It was uh, Douglas MacArthur. Oh. <laughs> so they kind of went from, um, yeah, well, we're going to put an animated elephant. No, we'll put General MacArthur. On <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, kind of one extreme to the other. But they did keep the piece that they'd written that sort of referred to him as kind of Mammal of the Year. Um, but they buried it in the middle of the magazine in the cinema section. So he wasn't the sort of front okay. cover star anymore. So yeah, unfortunately, Dumbo never sat on that list alongside uh, Hitler and Stalin. Quite a, li- <laughs> quite a list <laughs> to be on. Imagine? We've got Hitler, we've got Stalin, we've got Dumbo, all the gangs here, really. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, he never got the title. But mm. contender for 1941 Mammal of the Year was Dumbo. This seems very believable. I think it's the first fact today that we've had that isn't a bit off the wall, a bit crazy, mm-hmm. a bit unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Has it ever been done since? Like they've done something a little bit different, like they put a cartoon character or an animal or something? Oh, no. They have made inanimate objects mm. the sort of thing of the year before. Ooh, I'm, like, sure, I'm sure like the computer was one. Um, so there is a precedent for them not naming doing it. Doing something a bit different. Mm. There's a precedent, but again, mm-hmm. this sounds a bit too believable. Mm-hmm. I'm all, I'm so on edge with this podcast now. It's like <laughs> the fact so if you could if you just went to the pub and told someone that they go, oh, that's interesting. Mm. But now that you said it, <laughs> it sounds. I forgot how stressed you get playing this game. <laughs> you sounded almost too confident. I think this is BS. Okay. No, I'm going to say this is BS. Okay. I think this is a well crafted. You've done, I think because you did a lot of research on Time magazine, mm-hmm. because the, you knew the BS fact you had wasn't an, enough to hold hold it all together. So mm-hmm. you thought, oh, I need to build a, a some a foundation of truth okay. to put this this awful lie on top of. But mm-hmm. then again, I thought the Starling. <laughs> <laughs> you, you went straight for the straight for the jugular with that I one. Did. Yeah. Right. BS. Okay. Final answer. You saying that's BS? Yes. A whole story. Yes. It's true. Oh, for God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were going to make Dumbo a uh, mammal of the year. 
Really? Because it was so successful and sort of something nice in the middle of a very mm. dark time. But then unfortunately, times got even darker. And yeah, bumped <laughs> for General MacArthur. <laughs> I think we should have put him on anyway. Just for, just for the with, crack. Like do it like a double spread, like put him on with yeah. MacArthur. Yeah. Or Dumbo flying a bomber or something. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he wouldn't need a plane. <laughs> the, whole, the whole point is that you just, can fly. I'll, I'll just give him a machine gun then. Oh, well, this is a lovely addition to the cannon. Yeah. What's that sound? <laughs> the oh, cannon. It's, it's Disney it's spinning in his fridge. As if Dumbo has a cannon. <laughs> so it's now 5-1. Five, 5-1. One. Five, one. There's no way I can come back. This, this might end up with 6-1 again. Stop giving away bonus points. This it always happens could to you. could theoretically be 7-1 in the end because there's two, oh, yeah, two more points, points up for grabs. Oh, yeah, there oh. is. Oh, right, wow. there's a lesson for old Tony there. Don't give away bonus points. <laughs> well done, Paul. Um, Thank you. 5-1 up now. Mm. An absolute, will it be as bad as the Christmas special beating I took? What was that? Many, was that 6-1? Six 6-1. Six one. Mm. You took months to recover from that. <laughs> I did. I'm still recovering. This, is, this isn't helping my recovery o- in any way. Only just taking the straitjacket off. <laughs> <laughs> so I can hold my nonsense facts. <laughs> but I want to finish on, because regular listeners to the podcast will know, we do like, a, well, I do, a good schmaltzy story mm-hmm. or a story of crazy eccentrics. Yeah. And that's, we're going to combine them both. Okay. Today. A schmaltzy eccentric. A schmaltzy eccentric. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the origin of the word schmaltz is and how it comes to mean? It's uh, Yiddish. It is Yiddish. And I think it means something like grease. It is. It's grease or goose fat. But do you know how it became to be associated with something that was kind of sugary? Like saccharin. Oh, saccharin. I don't know. It's, it must be something culinary, is it? I don't know. It, it kind of. There's not really like 100% sure how it became translated over. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you the very first use of the word in a minute, but... It was thought to come from the idea that when Jewish families would get together, they would cook using schmaltz. And it was kind yeah. of, that smell was quite strong and it reminded people of coming together, of family, uh, right. of oh, that's good nice times story, at home. Yeah. Oh, it's really schmaltzy in here. Ah, right. I that's like just, that. that's just one of the theories though. It's not like uh, 100% confirmed mm. that one. It, but that's my, the story I'm sticking with because I like that one. Ah, uh, it's a nice story. But the first time the word schmaltz was mentioned, it was in a derogatory term used to describe straight jazz in 1935. Oh, I think I might have read that at some point, mm, yeah. It, it might have originally... been Haggard Hawks. I took <laughs> that one from <laughs> Stop getting your fights from Haggard Hawks. <laughs> I steal them from Haggard Hawks and then build on them. Yeah, you wouldn't be the only one. Oh, we'll mention no names. <laughs> yeah. But, so that's the origin of Schmaltz. Um, but today's Schmaltz story, we're going to talk about a man called Lieutenant Commander Bill Hawks. This is BS. <laughs> Why do you say that? Lieutenant Commander Bill Oaks. It's like, oh, sorry. It's like if I left you alone in the room and you'd be like, Anthony, come up with a name for a funny character. No, no, character. sorry, I've actually made a mistake. Oh. It's Lieutenant Commander Bill Borks. Borks? Yes. If you just change his name now because Oaks is too too much of a normal name. It's called Bill Borks. <laughs> yeah, Bill Borks Baggins. Excuse me, L- Lieutenant Commander. Of course. So we're, we're after a naval man here. <sighs> right, okay. So anyway, a bit of background. Tell on, me more about this person you made up. On Lieutenant Commander Borks. Borks? Borks. Like, <laughs> that's, it sounds like I keep changing the name here. <laughs> no, it's B-O-A-K-E-S. So Borks. Borks. Also known colloquially, Bill Borks or Billy Borks. Because that's... <sighs> okay, like, <laughs> so, get, get, I've already decided. So this is just, you know, just rattle this out. It's fine. So <laughs> Lieutenant Commander... <laughs> 
you can't do that. I've not even started this fact. Yeah. Anyway, but so yes. a bit of background. <laughs> Bill Books. Mm-hmm. He was a British Royal Navy officer during, no, he wasn't. <laughs> during the Second World War. Okay. He joined the Navy in 1920 when he was age 16 as a boy seaman and was promoted to acting sub lieutenant in 1928. So he's climbing through the ranks. Mm-hmm. He was part of the Dunkirk evacuation in May 1940. No, he wasn't. When, <laughs> when his ship was sunk, the HMS Basilisk was sunk at Dunkirk, <laughs> but he survived. Okay. Later on in the war, he was on a new ship called the HMS Rodney. Which did he make up the name of a ship quickly? This fact gets so much better. Right, well. okay. So the HMS Rodney took part in the singing of the Bismarck. He was a, a gunnery lieutenant. Right, this has escalated quickly. Okay. <laughs> but after the he war... Re- how many jobs he had? <laughs> But he's still in the Navy. Okay. He wasn't just there on the HMS Rodney as a passenger. Or anything. What about the HMS Del Boy? Was it? <laughs> so, the H- what was the first ship? Basilisk. The Basilisk and the Rodney. He the Basilisk, that sounds plausible. But the HMS Rodney. Why do you call it Rodney? There, there are two things in the world that are called Rodney. One of them is Nicholas Lindo's character in Only Fool's Noses. And the other is this ship you've just made up. <laughs> I'm anyway, s- I'm feeling please. I'm feeling very on the ropes mm-hmm. here. So anyway, after the war, he retires and decides to go into politics. His first foray into politics was in 1951 general election. He wanted to contest Prime Minister Clement Attlee's seat, but he actually got the wrong constituency. So he made it. So this is where his eccentricity comes in. It mm-hmm. all starts here. Okay. I'm going to take down the Prime Minister. He represented the wrong constituency. Yes. Uh, Prime Minister Attlee was Walthamstow West and Bill Bokes stood in Walthamstow East. Okay. So he made a terrible mistake. And, well, Clement Attlee won anyway. He only got 174 votes, Mr. Bokes. Oh, he didn't even get his deposit back. But he had quite a progressive um, platform. He was advocated equal pay for women, uh, subsidised apprenticeships and the sale of council houses to their owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he still only got 0.4% of the vote. What a shame. <laughs> yeah, because he's totally, he totally exists as a person. Mm-hmm. And this was his platform. So later on, he thought, you know what? I'm not reaching out to enough people here. I need to, need to make an impact. My biggest concern is road safety. Why road safety? I don't know. He's, he been, t- he's been in the Navy all of his life. Yes. And he decides to get a bee in his bonnet about roads. Yes. But he eventually made himself an armoured bicycle so he could travel around the country and it had a concealed camera inside so he could take photographs of motorists breaking the law. Of course it did. This bike was this bike was eventually hijacked and taken to Aberystwyth. Right, I, I, no, I, <laughs> During a campaign in the 50s, someone hijacked him on his bike and then pedaled it to Aberystwyth. From where? Walthamstow? It may possibly. He used to eat Walthamstow is in London. It was. Aberystwyth is on the coast of Wales. I don't know which constituency he was in when he was hijacked. When the Bokes bike was stolen. But it was eventually... Hijacked. Hijacked. So so it wasn't like he left it outside of a post office. No, he was hijacked. like pushed... Dragged him out out of his armoured bicycle. It was not that armoured then. It was actually... It was about 140 pounds in weight. What? So about 80 kilos. Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) Things get better because the, the... Armoured bicycle was found in Aberystwyth. We don't know where it went on its journey, but it was found there. And he could. Yeah, why not take it to John O'Groats on the way? It it was quite damaged. And he couldn't afford the £20 to have it repaired. So that was the end of his campaigning bicycle. 
What? what? That, uh, you are you are bypassing these facts. <laughs> this bicycle is an armored, please, an armored bicycle to, with to a write, camera in it. He used to write his campaign slogans on the side. Of like, course uh, he did. <laughs> what did he write? Do not steal. <laughs> Like equal pay for women, watch out safety on the roads, that sort of thing. Who is this madman? Lieutenant and Commander Bill Bokes, I've told you. And it ends up in Aberystwyth. Yes. He, he loves this vehicle so much. He goes, oh, actually, no, I can, I, I've got enough money to put myself into a nuisance electoral position, <laughs> but not to get the one thing that makes me vaguely interesting as a candidate back to my home. Mm. That can just rust in Aberystwyth. Yes. So that was left What there. do you mean, yes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Don't know all the details behind this, obviously. Neither did he by the Anyway, we've it. moved on. We're Is on, it we're because on, you we, made him up? We've moved on to 1955 now. What's he got now? We're on to the next election, where at an England-Scotland football match at Wembley, he parked his van across the road. A so van, that, right. He's got a van now. So no cars could come up and down the road until all the fans had safely crossed the road and gone into the stadium. All and of the fans? All of the fans. So all the thousands of fans who went to see England, Scotland in And he thinks this is going to make him popular? <laughs> it was all about recognition for his road safety campaign. Okay. Um, two, actually, um, two hours later, he drove his van to a roundabout on Cambridge Circus and just refused to move until some pedestrians could cross. This is like he's just getting vehicles, moving himself around the British Isles, getting in people's way mm. and calling it in the interest of road safety. Yes, he was actually sent to prison for that one for a oh, week. For well, a week. There was shock. For a week for blocking roads. Colour me surprised. But again, he failed to win an electoral seat then. It, uh, it's almost as if that wouldn't make him popular with the electorate. Goodness <laughs> me. But he has such progressive policies, though. That he writes on the side of his armoured bike. <laughs> that was taken. Were they written on the side <laughs> of his van? <laughs> that wasn't hijacked and taken to Aberystwyth. Oh, what a shame. So we've moved on to 1961 now. He's got a new plan. He decides... What's this, an armoured bus? <laughs> no. He says the only way to ease congestion on the roads is to build hundreds of heliports around the coast and we'll carry we'll carry trade inland by helicopter. Okay. And to do this, he applied for planning permission to build a heliport in his garden because he was said, I'll help out. How big's his garden? <laughs> <Don't>... <laughs> where, where did he live? I don't know. Aberystwyth? <laughs> London, I think. Right. Walthamstow, okay. bro, that's where he did the thing. Mm-hmm. They obviously turned him down. What a shame. He also wanted an underground hangar for eight civil defence helicopters as well. What, in his garden? Because he feared the communists quite a lot because oh. it was the 60s. Right, okay. So there we go. So again, failed election then again. Yeah, I think he stood what in... A, what a shame. Like, st- if only there was some reason why he kept on <laughs> failing to be elected. He stood in 28 elections overall through his career. And failed every time? <laughs> he did. Oh, he actually he won the lowest number of votes in 1982. He he got five votes when he stood in Glasgow Hillhead. I don't think you can really call that winning. What the hell is he doing in Glasgow? <laughs> He's li- why why? He decided, who is this person? <laughs> he just decided that he would. Go- he just kind of picked. Was his- he looking for his bike? <laughs> he picked constituencies at random and it looks decided like to run it's- there. His record was unbeaten until the 2005 general election Oh, when someone in Cardiff North, uh, Catherine Taylor Dawson, won one vote. Was that her vote? <laughs> no, she didn't even vote for herself. That's your problem, Catherine. <laughs> she could have had two. Have you not got any friends? Where she was standing on the Vote for Yourself Rainbow Dream Party. 
Oh. And she didn't even vote for herself, which is the irony of that one. But anyway, that his record stood from 1982 to 2005. 1982? Yeah. He, he, was, he did this for decades. It went, right, 1982. Decades. How old was he by this point? <laughs> he was well... He, he helped sink the Bismarck. <laughs> was he still looking to get elected well, he joined the, he joined the Navy in 1920 when he was 16. So he, he was 1904... He was well into his late 70s by then. If only there was some point as to why he wasn't being elected. So we're going back to the 60s again because we've jumped ahead to that election. Okay. In the 60s, Mr. Bill Bokes tried to prosecute someone for dangerous driving because Bokes was kind of blocking the street, letting, mm-hmm. letting some young girls cross the road. And they were actually hit by the driver. But the car obviously had right of way because Bokes shouldn't have been... It shouldn't have been <clears throat> blocking the road. Mm. The court obviously dismissed Bill's case. So this, this injured girl's like, what, what, what have you done to me, Mr. Bokes? <sighs> but ironically, we get to 1984 now, close to the end of Bill's life, when ironically, he was injured in a traffic accident. Okay. <laughs> Which was he, it when he caused himself? When he, while he was getting off a bus... Mm-hmm. And following this, he unfortunately, he died a couple of years later in 1986. He a never, couple of years he later? He never fully recovered from this bus accident when he was hit by a If car. it was a couple of years later, it sounds like it's probably unrelated <laughs> to him getting off the bus. No, no, it was all the car accident. There yeah. you go. So what do you think of that, Paul? The life of the schmaltzy and eccentric Bill Bokes, who ran on a progressive platform, demanded helicopters on every coast. <sighs> No, see, it had an armoured bike that was hijacked and taken to Aberyst with. This is this cannot be true. You, this cannot be true. First of all, Bill Books is, <laughs> is the stupidest name I've ever heard. Okay, I need to interrogate this. But uh, what questions can I ask? Did, did he ever marry? Yes, he had three kids. Were they as much of a public nuisance as he was? <laughs> I know nothing about his kids. Mm. Um, I, I just. <laughs> I just this cannot be true. So a man it can't be true. A man who was a gunnery officer who helped sink the Bismarck had his armored bicycle stolen. He tried to become elected to Parliament twenty eight times, mm. but he was obsessed with road safety. And mm. but he seemed to do more harm than good. Yes, I just <laughs> Lieutenant <laughs> Commander Bill Books. This um, <clears throat> the, the thing is though this. I remember my fact about Tat and Sykes mm. and it was so ludicrous and you instantly decided it was ludicrous. Mm. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And I just can see this actually genuinely being true. What is your gut feeling? My gut feeling is that that was the biggest crock of shite you've <laughs> ever come up with on this podcast. Even more than the pigs driving cars, even more than the rocket to the moon. Like this, it can't be true. But there's just this little voice whispering in my ear mm. saying, I, I bet, because it's the first one, Anthony will make a proper effort to find the most eccentric person he can. And he'll have, un- he'll have stumbled across Bill Bokes <laughs> and his armoured bike that was hijacked. Not just stolen, <laughs> hijacked. <laughs> and then, <laughs> like, I, well, I would pay money to see that process happen. Mm. He's sat in an armoured bike and it gets like, Hijacked. That had a camera in it as well, so you could take pictures. Was it like? It, did he have the person have a weapon? I, I don't know. It didn't say how it how'd was you hijacked. How did you get hijacked from an armored bike? And why I, then take it to Wales? I, there was. <laughs> there, there, this, uh, I think this. I, no, I've got to stick with my guns. I think you have went. Paul keeps coming up with eccentrics. 
I'm going to come up with one and I'm going to make up every time I have to come up with something to add to this story. I'm going to make it like weird to the power of 10. <laughs> so it's like he had an he had an armored bike that he used to write his slogans on and he was hijacked off it and <laughs> someone peddled it to Wales. <laughs> this has to be BS. It oh, has I'm, to be. I'm, I'm proper sweating here. I know okay. it's going to be true, but it has to be BS for the for the universe to still be in balance. You have to have made this up. Is that your final answer? It's true. I know it is, but this so, has got to be BS. There, there, there may be a reason why I put one true fact of schmaltz at the beginning. Oh, and, uh, God. But this entire fact, everything about Bill Books, is completely true. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he was hijacked. And this bike was found in Aberystwyth, oh, and he couldn't, he couldn't afford the twenty pounds to repair it. I, he, he then he did he then he blocked a road at an England football match. <sighs> he tried to get a helipad installed in his home, <sighs> and he was a very distinguished naval career. Uh, well, uh, yeah, helped sink the business on mm. HMS Rodney. <laughs> Are you joking? The more I read about this, the more I knew it was just so juicy. Even if your fact was just. The British Navy during the Second World War had a ship called Rodney. <laughs> I would have called BS. But the fact that it was bundled up in Bill Bokes' life story. <laughs> Bill <laughs> Bokes? Yes, right. It's, he has a, a little bit of advice. If your surname is Bokes and your first name is William, don't shorten it to Bill. <laughs> like, Billy Bokes. Bill Bokes? This fact was amazing. Oh, my word. I feel elections should be more like this. I literally today. don't know what to think or say anymore. <laughs> I finally <laughs> pulled a point back. Well, I'm that was a superb fact. I'm so happy I finally pulled you <sighs> on an eccentric, a crazy eccentric person. Well, shout out to Bill Bokes and his, his children. One of them might yeah, be listening. Exactly. <sighs> In retrospect, your dad sounds like an absolute dude. We'll say that. <laughs> he does. He's what a uh, what a life! Yeah, as goodness well. me! What a crazy life! I don't know how he had all this money to fund these campaigns. Like yeah, that's something they, I didn't look into. I, I just don't know. Oh well, there you go. Let's see if pull I can... the point back, Tony. Oh, oh, the relief! Yeah. <laughs> all I wanted to do was get you on a schmaltzy fact, and I've done it. So I, I feel I've won a moral victory oh, today. Hey, dear me! Right, well, Bill Books is now put a distant memory. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, so, last fact of the day. Mm. Um, now, you revisited the eccentrics I that did. we keep coming back to, and I'm also going to revisit something. Ooh. Um, can you remember a while ago you came up with a fact about uh, C.S. Lewis and his narcoleptic cat? <laughs> oh, God. Still, I did. Still a sore point. Well, I thought I'm going to find out something about C.S. Lewis. Um, uh, it is that he invented a device for lighting a cigarette at his bedside. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, C.S. Lewis, uh, do you know what C.S. stood for? I know you've done a oh, fact about him before, but... I've never questioned yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it. Charles Steve. <laughs> it was Clive <laughs> Staples. No! Yeah. That sounds like just 
some normal bloke. Clive Staples is a grammatical sentence in its own right. <laughs> but yeah, he's called Clive Staples Lewis. Is also mm. a grammatical sentence in its own right. Uh, yeah, um, he's an Oxford scholar and very kind of interested in theology and all the rest mm. of it. Uh, born in 1898. I didn't realise it was as long as it goes. Mm. Died in the 60s, died in 1963. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia is a big thing that he mm. wrote. 50s, um, 1950, 1956. 56 was also the year that he married his wife, who was a, a lady called Joy Davidman. Ooh, it's quite late. Um, yeah, um, yeah, 1956. Um, unfortunately, she died four years later. She, she died very, very young, unfortunately. And I don't think he ever remarried. But this fact took place uh, during their marriage when they lived in Oxford. Mm. And her sister lived next door to them uh, in their house. And every Sunday morning, her and her sister would go off and walk her sister's dog uh, around the town. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. not a Sunday morning person. Okay. Um, he used to go to church on a Sunday, but he always used to go to the evening mass. He never used mm. to do the Sunday morning mass. Wasn't a Sunday morning person. Kindred spirits with me. <laughs> You're not an any day, I'm not any a time person. person, full stop. Mm. I'm only vaguely a person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, she would go off very, very early, kind of up with a lot, kind of 5 a.m. Mm. Um, and leave him to it. So he got himself a tease mate because mm. he just likes to lounge on a Sunday morning. So he gets himself a tease made. And this, we think, gives him the idea that he likes a cup of tea in the morning. He also likes a cigarette mm. in bed in the morning while he's reading his books and doing his crossword and all the rest of it. So he doesn't want to get out of bed to come put the kettle on. So he gets a tease made. Doesn't want to go up, go through his study, get his cigarettes, get a box of matches. So he, in the side of one of his journals that he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia in, he scribbled down this very bizarre looking device, um, which has a sort of funnel on the top of it that you would fill up with cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, this had like a little dispenser thing on the bottom of it. So it was a sort of Y-shaped kind of bank okay. full of cigarettes. Um, so, so, he's t- so he's got this funnel, he tops up with cigarettes. Yeah, he's pouring his carton of cigarettes. They're like lying flat. I was going to say, you'd have to obviously lie yeah, flat. Like, yeah, just... it's not just like they're in there all higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> you can just like yeah, chunk in... the box <laughs> They're all in there sort of lying in the same way. Um, and they're all kind of funneled down, so there's like a sort of column of them. The alarm clock goes off. The mechanism on top of the alarm clock hits a sort of trigger mechanism, which clicks round, dispenses one cigarette... This sounds like something off Wallace and Gromit. Oh, like <laughs> the sketch for this is ludicrous. If Wallace smoked on, on <laughs> Wallace and Gromit. So the cigarette drops down. Then there's sort of two kind of wire channels that sort of roll this the cigarette down. And then when it hits the bottom, it hits another trigger mechanism, which has a sort of pump on the end of it that just sort of nudges the cigarette mm. forward. And it moves into, here's the crux of the thing, a heated, modified desktop sharpener. Ooh, this so he's got, is like you know one of them like uh, pencil sharpeners that cl- clips <clears> on <throat> the side of a desk that you turn the handle <clears> on <throat> it's one of those and his idea is that this is somehow modified so that there's like a filament in it I was going that, to say how did he heat it where did the power come oh, from well, he, well, he wouldn't just <laughs> attach electrodes <laughs> to a pencil sharpener uh, there would be some sort of filament in it <clears> so the inside of the thing that has the blade in it that would heat up um, and it would sort of scorch the end of the cigarette of course, there's nothing sucking on the other end of the cigarette, so the cigarette doesn't properly light. Mm. But it gives you enough of a spark that you can then take the cigarette out, have a drag on it, and you mm. can start smoking. So he has his teas made set up. Here's a question for you. Do you know what year the first idea for a teas made was invented? Oh, it'll be something Victorian. Oh, wow, yeah, it is. Uh, it's 1891. They had they had all sorts of ideas. Yeah. They just, that they just didn't implement. I thought they'd the be like some kind of twee 1950s thing. No, it but was like... Yeah, no, it was uh, 1891. And they kind of went into proper production in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. Um, so, anyway, he had a tease made. He also kind of had this quote unquote cigarette made. Oh, sorry, I'll let you finish. Then, well, then yeah, I've got some nonsense questions <laughs> to throw at you. So, anyway, yeah. Um, th- this is his sort of design for this device that he's going to have on his bedside. Uh, when the tease ma- the alarm goes off on the tease made and starts making him a cup of tea, the alarm goes off on that, lights the cigarette for him. He takes the cigarette out, has a drag on it. He can have his cup of tea. He's sitting there, happy as Larry. He hasn't had to get out of bed. Unfortunately, nothing ever happened with this design, and it's literally, really? it's literally I just, a, why. just a sketch in the side <laughs> side of one of his notebooks. There was a rumor of, uh, a while ago that sort of circulated on the internet that C.S. Lewis invented a sort of cigarette lighting machine, mm. and he patented it, and he was looking at getting engineers at Oxford to sort of design it and stuff. Um, none of it is actually true. Mm. He never went any further with this. It was never patented. There's no record that it was ever patented. Uh, he just sort of drew this ludicrous picture as a joke and kind of went, ha ha, I want one of these next to my bed. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's no kind of proof that anything ever happened with it. But he came up with the idea for a machine that would sort of light his cigarette for him first thing in the morning because he hated getting out of bed. This seems like an awful lot of effort for a lazy person. Like he could have just left a pack of matches and a pack of cigarettes by his bed, and then just like lit that mm. immediately. But I think the idea is like like with the teas made, it's like. It's ready for you the moment that you wake up. So your alarm clock mm. goes off. You don't then have to stop messing about doing anything. Mm. It's just the minute you wake up, there's a cup of tea and there's a cigarette already lit. You just have to pick it up. Mm. Okay, fair enough. And it's then again, it's not a very serious decision. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he's... Yes, he brought like, a question. Mm. I'm going to abandon my Oxford teaching and put this into production. He could have made millions. <laughs> so uh, would, the, would the idea be like a, like a kind of toaster filament? Or equivalent oh, of in I, there. I don't know. I, so he, I don't he didn't know. say how the filament would be powered. No, the sketch of this. Would he, how would you modify? Why did you not just make like a box with a filament in it instead of modifying an old pencil sharpener? It's, well, I don't know. Maybe it's because he was going to. Yes, of... it actually is another thing. While I'm on a rant, <laughs> if this, the fact that the cigarette has to roll down and trigger something, mm. cigarettes are light as feathers. They if that just hits, how is that heavy enough to even trigger a switch to kick something off? I, I don't know. Right, I think this is BS. I, I don't think... Are you going into so much detail? <laughs> the, the cigarette wouldn't be able to... like that's This is literally just like a sure. joke picture he drew in the corner of one of his notebooks. Um, yeah, I, no, I don't know what the heating thing was. Um, he, he just had a sort of filament drawn but in it. But you know, if it the was picture like... picture is if, very ludicrous when If you it was it. a joke picture, then it might be true because he could have drawn anything. Mm. So like, didn't Leonardo da Vinci draw like an idea of a tank and a helicopter and a... And all a parachute sorts. and all sorts yeah, of all things. Yeah, all sorts of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so this is the, the thing. It's like sort of myth-busting this idea that mm. C.S. Lewis invented this machine. He, mm. uh, he absolutely didn't. It never went that serious. Mm. Never was patented. So um, your fact is it was literally... a you've, Your fact is literally someone made a bad sketch once. <laughs> of a cigarette lighting machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then in that case, that that's probably true. <laughs> was he a lazy... He can't have been that lazy, though. Well, but the thing I, is, I if know. he was quite religious, you'd think he'd go to the morning mass. No, BS. <laughs> I'm going to BS. <laughs> All cruxes on w- which mass C.S. Lewis would go to. I think he'd be fine with the Sunday morning mass. He'd be a morning person he as well. He would be a morning person. I think he was a morning, because he had loads of dogs. Dogs are morning creatures. They're yeah, like... but, but his, this is the point, is that his sister used to go to the Oh, dogs. yeah, he said that. His, his wife and his sister used to go to the dogs. I'm going to say this is BS. I think he was a morning person. Mm-hmm. He would be up with the larks, getting okay. the dogs out, and off to church. That story. And a cigarette couldn't, isn't, isn't heavy enough to trigger something. <laughs> You're taking this so seriously. I am. I don't know why I'm so angry. Yeah. Anyway, BS, yeah. go Okay, for it. final answer. Yes. That entire story, mm. 
Of course it's BS. I knew it. You see, it's made a sketch. <laughs> what sort of... I thought, like, I thought if I made it out that this was like some ludicrous side project that never came or anything, you mm. might go for it. But no, of course, that's untrue. So 5-3's final score. And I, I, it would have been a draw if I hadn't given away those bonus points on the Middle English <laughs> You'll cookbook. never learn. You'll never <laughs> learn. I might do a bonus point next time then. Yeah, you won't. No, I won't. So anyway, what did we learn today? All of my facts were true. I was going to say, yeah, all of yours were true. So yeah. we learned of the first Roman expedition to China. That's amazing. I had no idea at all that that happened. Via the Indian Ocean, yeah. was, uh, up through to Vietnam. There was a lovely English cookbook and all the recipes were true. Uh, boiled pigs with sage. Mm. Don't Rabbits and gravy. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> The geese, the geese hodgepot was quite palatable. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, goose in wine sounds mm. all right. But... Oh, that could be all right. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cook that. Mm. And my final fact on uh, Lieutenant Commander Bill Books. That's was insane. True. Yeah, that is insane. So I'm taking the full moral victory yeah. today on this one. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, two of mine were, were true. Mm. Dumbo being made Mammal of the Year mm. in 1941, then getting bumped for Pearl Harbor. What are, <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> Poor Dumbo. Yeah. And the fact that it's... Um, I didn't know that it was the shortest Disney film either. I know that's such a side fact, but I, mm. yeah, I, I didn't realise that. I honestly can't remember if um, I've ever seen it all the way through. Ah, me neither. I've seen yeah. I've seen the scene where Dumbo gets drunk and sees the pink elephants. Oh yeah! He's, what a lightweight! God, come on, Dumbo! You see, you yeah, see, he's, he's only supposed to be like six months. But old he's the or size something. of an elephant, though. Like you think he could take a, a half a bottle of champagne or whatever it was. <laughs> well, this this needs to be an experiment video that we'll do. <laughs> Find me a baby elephant, and I will give them a bottle of champagne. Yeah, but yeah well, you do that. <laughs> And I'll go and try and train a starling to sing a tune. Because that was completely true, that Mozart gave his pet starling a funeral and didn't attend his father's funeral. Oh, God, funeral. the names. Mr. Canary. Mr. Canary, yeah. And then uh, Robin Redbreast. And the prize for least imaginative pet names goes to Mozart. <laughs> well, yeah, he was very good at some things. Unfortunately, not too good at naming birds. Mm. Mr. Canary's all right. No, it's not. Oh, it's well. ridiculous. The little starling, the foolish darling, though. You <laughs> As if you thought I wrote that. <laughs> it sounded like something. Do you know I'm a published author? If, you, <laughs> like if I had to make up a poem that someone had written for a dead star, it wouldn't start, he's a foolish little darling or whatever that one did. Dear me. Well, I've read your boobs, Paul. I think that's actually good quality. <laughs> that's I, bet you, I bet you haven't. <laughs> you wouldn't be alone. I know, I know of your boobs. <laughs> You've seen them in shops. <laughs> Charity shops. <laughs> And on that note, everybody, we're finished Finished for this episode. Yeah, start of season three, though. Mm. But before we go, we'd like to mention we've set up a new Patreon account yeah. for the podcast. Well, basically, we're hoping to put some bonus podcasts there, do some retrospectives, mm -hmm. follow up on old facts. Yeah, but... it's, it's just a way to sort of expound on some of the things that we mm. touch on in passing in the actual podcast. So uh, You can find the details on the website. Yeah. But, um, knowing me and Paul, getting it set up. It's we're, we're such a pair of it class. It should be ready sometime about 2023. Yeah, that'll be episode two of season three. Will be ready then. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Should just about be getting ready to wind the season up. <laughs> and on but, that yeah. note, everybody, thanks for listening again, and we shall see you next time.